0: 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. We're going to begin our reading at verse 13 for the scripture text, but let's just look at uh, verses 1 and 2 for a moment. To God's elect, strangers in the world, scattered throughout all those cities that it lists there, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and the sprinkling by His blood, grace and peace be yours in abundance. Boy, what a way to begin a letter. Isn't that tremendous? I just had to read that. You almost missed something. You just don't read that. But now verse 13. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed as obedient children. Do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance, but just as he who called you is holy. So be ye holy in all you do for it is written. Be holy because I am holy since your You call on a father who judges every man's work impartially. Live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear. For you know that it is not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you are redeemed From the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers. But with the precious blood of Christ. A lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world but was revealed in these last times for your sake, through Him, you believe in God who raised Him from the dead and glorified Him, and so your faith and hope are in God. If you have an NIV Bible like mine, perhaps that section beginning at verse 13 has this title, Be Holy. Once God has sanctified us, then what? What do we do? Well, that's kind of what this section of Scripture addresses. The directions of those to be holy. And notice he was saying in verse 1 and 2, that's why we had to read it, he's he's talking to those whom God, through the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, for the obedience to Jesus Christ. And then he says at verse 13, how we are to be holy. Well, he starts out by saying, prepare your minds for action it literally means gird up the loins of your mind now there are pictures in scripture and when uh, when i see gird up the loins of your mind i don't get a whole lot out of that i don't know where the loins of my mind are and i don't know how to gird them up but it so it literally means this is kind of a word picture that Well, they all do it. I mean, Peter does it, and and Paul does it, and John does it. They give this word pictures, and this is one. This girding up is like there's a robe around you. And girding up that robe around the loins and just kind of wrapping it up short. When, um, When Mike Brewer got married, his new wife had one of those wedding dresses where the train just kind of folded up behind her for the reception and after the pictures were over and she had she didn't have to carry that pull that train around all the time. She kind of girded it up behind her. I'd never seen one like that. Maybe there I know there's gotta be others like it, but it was the first one I've seen. I was amazed to see all that just kind of fold up and it was a part of the dress. He said <laughs> <laughs> Let's stand for dismissal. No. <laughs> He said, prepare your minds for action. If we're going to be holy, he said, we're going to have to get down to business. It's not something, flippant. We're going to have to uh, get this robe up around us. It's going, to, it's going to be hanging around and it could be caught by something or by the world and we've got to get it out of the way. Gird up the moi- loins of your mind because we're going into battle. The picture here is someone who's either going into battle or getting ready for action to run a race. And that picture continues on for the next few phrases. But he's saying, if if you're going to be involved either in the race for the Lord or in the battle for the Lord, you have to be ready. And it's done in the mind. Gird up your mind. This is serious business. And then he further says, be self-controlled. Literally means, be sober. That word sober means, according to Vine's word study, means be alert, means be awake, means means in control. So when we get ready for action, our mind has to perceive what's happening. We just don't go into this holy life blind and kind of flippantly and lackadaisically. We go into it alertly. And we're ready for the action because we're getting ready to fight the enemy with the power of God. It's not one who is asleep or listless, but one who is alert. And then he says, set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. It's like that's the finish line. Here's the guy. He's not going to run with a robe hanging all around his ankles. He's going to get it up out of the way. And he's going to to run, and the finish line that he's going to cross is listed for us. Set your hope on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. Now, what, what kind of grace? What are we to focus on? What is it that's out there that's going to help us to be holy, to live the holy life? The finish line, I believe, according to this, is when Christ is revealed, that grace is going to be given to us. Now what is that grace? There's a prevenient grace. We put that on the board in membership class this morning. Showed how when we're going away from God, there's grace that just continually comes to God, goes across our path, permeates our life, and we have an understanding of who He is and it causes us to repent. It's the grace that goes before. Then we're saved and it's called saving grace. And then when we become sanctified, it's called sanctifying grace. Well, what's the grace we get here? The grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. You know what I think it is? Glorifying grace. That's the final stage of salvation when we're glorified. It's the state of complete blessedness and deliverance from sin. Paul said, if you're going, or excuse me, St. Peter said, if you're going to be holy, going to live the holy life, we're going to have to get a fix on heaven and the grace that the Lord is going to give to us in complete glorification, in complete deliverance from sin. Maybe sometimes we've got our focus on the wrong thing. When I was growing up, it seemed to be that there was a much more stronger emphasis upon heaven. And maybe we've just kind of lost sight that that's the finish line and the glory that Christ is going on. I like that we shouldn't be concerned about what's going on down here below. I don't believe in being so heavenly minded you're not any earthly good, but being heavenly minded correctly. I just believe the Scripture teaches that that is the hope. Set your hope on the grace to be given when Christ is revealed. Then he goes on. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. As obedient children. Literally, it means this, as children of obedience. You say, what's the difference between obedient children and children of obedience? Well, commentators would tell us that literally, to use that phrase, children of obedience, well, actually, they they turned it around and said one of the phrases in the Orient would be that you are a child of disobedience. Which meant that that's like your parent. You're a child of disobedience. You have the nature of disobedience. Here, he's saying, as children of obedience. Obedience is your nature. Obeying God is your nature. As children of obedience, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. This word conformed is the same word that we have in Romans 12, 2 that says be not conformed to this world. Here he's saying do not be conformed to the evil desires you had when you, before you were saved. This word "conform" means fold, molded, and fashioned and formed after the world. So it's kind of like there's a mold out there and we're to be formed according to the grace of God and according to the Lord Jesus Christ. Turn with me to 1 John chapter 3. There's a cross-reference I want to check at this point. 1 John chapter 3. We'll look at verses 2 and 3. Dear friends, now we are children of God. And what we will be has not yet been made known. But when we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Isn't that just what the former verse in 1 Peter said? Putting your hope upon him? Then he says, everyone who has this hope in himself purifies himself just as he is pure. It's at this point that we have a choice. Notice the evil desires and the former lust were in ignorance. But now we've seen the light. We're not in ignorance anymore. Christ has redeemed you. Christ has enlightened you. Christ has empowered you. And you can underscore this. You no longer have to live according to the desires of the flesh. There's a misconception somehow in the Christian world that that's not true. But I can't find any place in Scripture where we have to succumb to the desires of the flesh. I've even looked for it, but it's not there. So we don't have to be conformed to the world anymore. We don't have to live after the evil desires anymore. Turn with me to Galatians 5. Galatians chapter 5. We'll check another cross-reference. Verse 13, it just emphasized, you, my brothers, were called to be free, but not to use your freedom to indulge in the sinful nature, but rather to serve one another in love. The entire law is summed up in a single command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out or you will destroy each other We will be destroyed by each other. So I say, live by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They're in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Verse 16 again. So I say, live by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. That's the whole plan of redemption. So that we would not have to live and succumb to the desires of the sinful nature. Before we were saved, we had no choice. They were overpowering. The phrase that kids use today it comes through the advertising uh, My kids had it in school this last year in regards to all kinds of drugs and intoxicants. The phrase simply is just say no. We could apply that here. When it comes to the evil desires that we once lived in our ignorance and sin, the scripture says, just say no. Because you can And you see, that's the message to the kids in the school system regarding drugs. You've got the power to say no. Nobody's twisting your arm to do that. You can say no. The Holy Spirit is saying to us here, if we want to live holy lives, exercise the power that God has given to you and say no to the desires of the flesh. You see, Christ came to destroy the works of the devil. And the good news is, that the devil's been defeated. And because he's been defeated, Christ gives us the victory to go into that battle with, with our loins, with the, with the robe girded up. Our mind is alert and we see what's happening and we're in the battle and we're going to have the victory through Christ. Verse 15, But just as He who called you is holy... So be holy in all you do. The pattern for the Christian life is God himself. I read somewhere that worshipers always imitate their gods. No matter where they are in the world and no matter what gods they worship. And our God, the true and living God, is a God of awesome holiness. And if we see him that way, he is calling us to do the same thing. He has not called us unto uncleanness, but he's called us to holiness. Holiness unto the Lord was inscribed on the mitre of the high priest, and it should be written on the heart of every Christian because we are in the royal priesthood of Christ. And Paul said, be imitators of God, little children. You belong to him, so be like him. It's a high and holy calling, but it is set before us by God himself. And here's his words. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. It literally means you shall be holy. For I am holy. Be imitators. How do we imitate God? God. How do you imitate anybody? You know, it says we're supposed to be alert and have our loins girded, our mind girded up. To imitate someone, you have to know something about them, don't you? Think of Rich Little, all the people he imitates. How does he imitate all of those people? he just wake up some morning and all of a sudden he can do it? Oh no. He works for days and weeks and months and sometimes years studying an individual. Listening, watching them in a certain setting, picking up the mannerisms of how they walk. He just sometimes he just spends time with them. He makes appointments to literally spend days with people that he wants to imitate. If we are to imitate God, we've got to know something about him. That's the reason why I think it's so healthy for us and so wonderful to us to see him through the scripture. And then to spend time with Him in prayer and be sensitive to the Holy Spirit so that we are, when we are in a certain setting, we are sensitive to what God would do. The question is not, as we live the Christian life, well, what would so-and-so do if they were in this setting? The question is, what would Jesus do if He were here? Be imitators of God, not one another. We stop short sometimes. I think the goal for some people is to simply be good Christians to be as good as so-and-so, or the person down the block, or the person that's been in the church longer than you have. That's not the goal. We are to be imitators of God. And Christ is the goal. And the question in being holy is not, can I do this or participate in this because someone else does? But what would Jesus do? If I'm to imitate the character and the quality of Christ, how am I to live? That's what he's saying here, how we live the holy life. To be imitators of God. Be holy, for I am holy. You see, we're to be molded to the image of Christ. He is the pattern. And that places us in situations that you and I face every day. And the question is, well, what do I do here? What's the right thing? What's the wrong thing? In those situations, we listen to those impulses of the Holy Spirit guided by our knowledge of the Word. See, when it says be alert and gird up your mind, that tells me I have better know God. I've got to continually try to know Him better and better and better every day so that my life can be progressively more holy as I walk with Him. Verse 17, since you call on a father who judges each man's work impartially, live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear. To paraphrase that, he's saying we need to live with judgment day honesty. Judgment day convictions. We're not going to stand before anyone else one day. We're going to stand before a holy God. And that is also another thing that will keep us along this track of living the holy life. I read from the manual this morning to those who were in the membership class. It read this way. We believe in future judgment in which every man shall appear before God to be judged according to the deeds of this life. And Jesus said to us, don't fear those who can destroy the body. But fear the one who can destroy both body and soul in hell. How do you live a holy life? With judgment day honesty. Realizing that the choice that I make and the action that I do over here and the words that I say, I'm going to stand before a holy God one day and give an account. That's how we live a holy life. We sang this morning that song, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. That one day we will be judged by Him. And we need to live with a sense of that awe and that fear in our lives. The scripture says that each man's work will be impartially judged. And it says we're to live as strangers here. That's also echoed in verse 1 where he said, To God's elect strangers in the world. For some reason... The Apostle Peter had his mind so fixed on the finish line that that was the goal of his life. Seeing that not only was that where he's headed, but he's going to stand before God. He's going to live his life in such a way that he's going to please his God. And he realized that the things here are so temporary. (laughs) He said, I'm just, I'm just a stranger here. I'm just passing through. The world is temporary. The time is temporary. And we belong to God. And He's going to take us home. And the greatest motivation of living the Christian life is the longing for heaven, our home, and Christ is going to take us there. That's the second reason for godly fear. The great price that Christ paid for us. Let's look at it together. Not only the fear of standing before God, but look now. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. If someone had given gold and silver for our redemption, that would have been a worthy cause and we would have probably been grateful and given them reverent gratitude. But Christ gave himself. He shed His precious blood. That was the price it took for our redemption for us to live the holy life. And you see, that's the next thing that Peter mentions. Not only the fact of standing before a holy God, but he's saying now the fact that you can live the holy life and say no to the desires of the flesh and be alert to what's going on around you is because of the price that Jesus paid for you. It was His precious blood that has redeemed you. And to say no to the world and say no to the flesh was because of the price that He he paid. Maybe some of you have had difficulty understanding that passage out of Hebrews. It's in chapter 6 and verse 4. It reads like this. It is impossible for those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come, if they fall away to be brought back to repentance because to their loss, they are crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting him to public disgrace. One of the things that kept the Apostle Peter on the right track and will keep you and I is a high regard for the blood of Christ. And to say, in the situations of life where temptation come and adversity come, if I begin to yield to this temptation and and this lust and this over here and choose the wrong over here, it's a direct affront to the precious blood of Christ. Not only will I stand before a holy God and give an account, but I'm saying the blood was not efficacious enough. It was not strong enough for me. And Peter said, it's the precious blood of the Lord. God has entrusted to us that most holy gift. We fear a God who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all. And if we, we need to fear that we would bring dishonor to the cross. Someone said, we dare to do anything but offend God. As Christians, whatever comes, and you look at those martyrs who have given their life for the cause of Christ, they were fearless. And they face any situation that you could name. And they were fearless because they did not want to bring disgrace to the name and to the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. What's the section of this scripture? B. Ye holy. Those are the ingredients. It would behoove each one of us to study that passage of Scripture to see how God has equipped us to live the holy life. Let me ask you a question. Do you think the time and the day in which we live is beyond the the scope of this Scripture? Can we live a holy life today? Has the world changed too much since this was written or is it still possible to be holy? Maybe we should ask the question this way. Has the power of God changed? Has the call of God been reversed? Is He not calling us to holiness anymore? Is He not calling us to be holy because He is holy? And has the blood of Christ Lost its power? No. (laughs) The hope of the gospel and the hope of heaven still remains. And we shall be able to stand before him one day and testify that his blood has never lost his power. His grace is sufficient for every situation. And that in every point where he brought us into a situation where we even faced the enemy of our lives, we had victory because we were willing to be holy as He is holy. Stand with me, please. In concluding this service, I would like to sing a song that uh, I thought of what's going to happen that day when we stand before this holy God. And there was a song that came to mind. And I don't know, some of the verses fit better than the others, but I would like for us to sing the first verse, and the last verse of hymn 12. I think one of the things that would come to my mind is I would like to get as many people as possible to sing this song with me. But I would like to give testimony in the last verse about the power of the blood of Jesus Christ. Hymn 12 is, Oh, for a thousand tongues. And let's sing this hymn together. Verse 1. And verse 4, as we close this service. Oh, for the thousand tongues to sing my great believers' praise. The love of my God and King, the triumphs of His grace. power of canceled sin He sets the prisoner free His blood can make the violence bleed His blood avails for me Let's sing that fourth verse one more time. This time without the instrument. We'll just listen to ourselves sing. If we sing around the throne, I don't know if we'll have a piano nearby, but we'll be able to remember the words and get them in the right order and everything as we sing. Let's just sing this last verse together and listen to the melody and the the harmony as we sing He breaks the power of canceled sin. He breaks the power of canceled sin He sets the prisoners his blood can make the vileless clean His blood avails for me Lord Jesus, we rejoice tonight in the great salvation that you have provided. It's not a little thing. It's the holiest thing that our life can ever encounter, our relationship with Thee. And the most precious thing of all eternity is the shed blood of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Out of love He gave Himself for us. That as we walk through this life, we can have victory over the enemy, over temptation, over sin, over the lust of the flesh. And the prayer of Jesus that we talked about today can be answered in our lives. That we can be sanctified in the truth. And then our mind doesn't focus only upon this earth, but we focus on heaven. For there one day, as we see you face to face, we will be glorified and stand before you. And when we do, we want it to be in praise and glory because of the power of Christ to keep us and to allow us to be victorious in His name. And as we live this week, Lord, would You remind us of this Scripture to be holy in all that we do, in all that we say. And when the enemy comes to us and helps us and wants us to think that we're powerless against this this temptation or that one or another one, help us by the very power of the redeemed blood of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and his redeemed people, help us to say no to the temptation and to be victorious in the power of the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord, for the privilege of being your obedient children. And this we offer in Christ's precious name. Amen.